If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. Today on The Transition, I sit down with Army veteran and expert EOS implementer, Chris Hallberg, author of the Business Sergeant's Field Manual, military-grade business execution without the yelling and push-ups. Although we've already done a crash course on EOS in a previous episode, which is short for the Entrepreneurial Operating System, first coined by Gino Wickman, I want to revisit it with Chris to share his insights as someone who's helped companies implement EOS for over a decade. I've said it once and I'll say it again. A business without an operating system is like an undisciplined baby. To get a grip on it and make it run for you, not the other way around, you need an operating system. On the show, Chris walks us through each step of the traction framework and how to implement it in your own business. Before you hear from Chris and I, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Also, be sure to check out the official 2022 Bunker Labs Holiday Gift Guide, which features over 60 veterans or military spouse-owned businesses. You can access the guide at the link in the show notes. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Chris, welcome to The Bunker. I'm fired up and I'm honored to have you here. I got your book, The Business Sergeant's Field Manual. Reached out to you on uh, LinkedIn and was, uh, man, I was so happy when you got back to me and said, Mike, my calendar's booked for October, but I got some time in September. Let's jump on the podcast. So it's an honor to have you here today, Chris. Pleasure to be here, Iron Mike. Thanks for having me. So I want to start off by having you uh, introduce yourself. I had to make sure I was on time because you're the business sergeant. So I had to log in early. I was like, listen, there's a, first of all, you're in the army. It ain't the Marines. But I was like, I got to come correct because this guy is military. He's disciplined. And so he has a higher, he's going to hold me to a higher standard. I want to make sure I deliver. Thank you very much for being on time. Early's on time. On time is late, right? Lombardi said that. Yes. Uh, when people are late uh, for meetings or sessions, work that I do, uh, oftentimes I work with the CEO and their leadership team. So let's call it seven, eight, nine people in the room for a full day uh, EOS session. Uh, that's primarily the work that I do as an expert EOS implementer for EOS Worldwide now. Um, make them sing a song. I had a, uh, uh, a male and a female decided to carpool from the office to the session room, so they were both late. So we decided that uh, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers' Islands in the Sea duet was appropriate. So we just, we just fired that up. And generally, when, when you put people in that situation, their punctuality improves markedly because uh, you know getting outside your comfort zone and knowing that, hey, if I'm late, I have to do something silly or something like that. It's amazing, just little things. There's, there's probably a lot of things that happen to people in the military that are late for formation, right? Uh, pretty creative punishments. In the civilian world, nothing wrong with bringing a little accountability into it as long as we keep it light. Absolutely. So 
I would love for you to introduce yourself to the audience, let them know who you are, what you have going on. Um, and we're going to dive into a little bit more about how you got to where you are. Great. Well, um, I'll be, what, 50 years here in a couple of months, 50 years old, and have been married for 25 of those to a beautiful woman, Melissa. We have two great boys, Hunter, 18, and Hayden, uh, 15. We live outside of Denver, Colorado. Uh, uh, like you said, my veteran experience, I was actually a nasty girl. I spent nine years in the Minnesota Army National Guard Military Police. I served in the 34th MP Company, the number one rated uh, MP company in the National Guard pretty much every year for the last however many years. Great unit. Um, lots of full-time uh, federal agents, state state troopers, uh, deputy sheriffs. So my National Guard unit was just full of civilian law, law enforcement officers. So it was just a great experience. Um, and then uh, my civilian law enforcement experience at 20 years of age, uh, uh, I was a, a maximum security uh, prison guard uh, at a supermax, five stories underground. I uh, was there for about three years, a lot of growth in the department. By 23, I was promoted to sergeant, leading people, in most cases, twice my age in some pretty uh, interesting environments. So, you know, did Department of Corrections, deputy sheriff stuff. Uh, so I spent about, what, nine years total in both of those uniformed civilian law enforcement and, and National Guard law enforcement. And in 1999, I just kind of ran its course, time to get out of uniform, transition into a full civilian uh, uh, business career. I, I kind of had it with civilian law enforcement and, uh, you know, being a police officer is a tough job and it's not for everybody. And after almost a decade of doing the work, I, I felt it was time for me to do something else. I had an affinity for sales, marketing, business, uh, got into sales and marketing, became a sales rep, became a sales manager, became a sales executive, then became a business owner, uh, operated a number of businesses, crashed a few, sold a few, uh, typical story, uh, uh, and uh, started coaching other uh, entrepreneurs back in 2011 after I exited my last company. Uh, which was an energy efficient remodeling business uh, based in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So that's the entrepreneurial, the personal. And then uh, uh, in 2014, I joined forces with Gino Wickman and Don Tinney at EOS Worldwide and was like the 50th or 60th implementer on the planet. Now there's, you know, five, 600, going to be a thousand uh, within a year. So I've spent most of my time just coaching entrepreneurial leadership teams in, in the ways of EOS. Uh, as an, as a professional certified and then expert EOS implementer. So that's kind of who I am, where I came from, uh, my experience today. What year did you transition out of the military? Uh, 1999. I bet that was a scary time. We didn't have nearly the amount of resources and things we have now, even like bunker labs. And so did you imagine you would go from, you know, being a military police to, you know, working with CEOs and their teams of these multi-million dollar companies? Yeah, well, there's a, a few years of learning there, right? So um, I wouldn't trade my, you know, National Guard service for anything, right? So whether you were full-time, part-time, whatever branch, you know, you know there's, there's, there's SEAL Team 6 and, right, you know, uh, uh, Delta Force and all the Tier 1 stuff and everyone's talking about that. But that's such a small percent of the service. It's like a fraction and those, you know, superhumans, you know, that are in those units, uh, you know, write, write about business and inspire people in business. And, and that's awesome, right? But not too many people have that experience of, you know, taking out Osama bin Laden and all that kind of high profile stuff. Most military stuff is 90% absolute boredom punctuated by maybe 10% sheer terror, very similar to like civilian law enforcement. Like, 
this is really lame until, oh my God, this is what's going on. It's feast kind of or famine. So, so I think the military at, at the highest level is just one big system, okay? So if you're running a business and you don't have any systems, what, what are you doing? So a checklist, an outline, go fast things that allow us to be consistent and on point or what everybody needs. In the military, I would argue, perhaps is a little over-systematized, right? There's more acronyms than, than most, most can remember. However, let's talk about an acronym real quick, right? Sports. So I haven't fired an M16A2 in a, probably over 20 years, right? Iron sights, Iron Mike, is how we qualified at the uh, uh, two, 200, it was a 300 meter range, pop-ups, Ivans. And uh, if that weapon was to jam, I know I have to slap the bottom of the magazine. I have to pull that charging handle, the rep, observe the, the chamber, I have to release the charging, I have to tap the forward assist, and then I need to shoot for kill. Sports. I haven't, I haven't really talked about that much in the last 20 years, but I still remember it. That's the power of systems and acronyms and, 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 and getting people to simplify complex things with, with a go-to system. And that's how you scale a business, right? Simplicity is the fuel to be able to scale any business. Dumb it down. Dumb it down. Uh, complexity is the enemy of growth and kills more businesses than anything else is unnecessary complexity. So aiming at your toe for a half an hour and then pulling the trigger. Like we, we, we get in our own way all the time. Another example from my time back in 1991, when I went through, you know, basic training in Fort McClellan, Alabama, that's not even a thing anymore. Um, AT4, unguided, cheap tank uh, rocket, right? You're familiar with the AT4s, old, old Vietnam air stuff. So um, olive tree, drab, you could just look at it. You play enough Call of Duty, you, you don't you know what side the business side of that is. But, but not necessarily. We didn't have that back in the 90s. So there was a big old gold arrow right down the side of the rocket launcher. It says point towards enemy. Why do you think there's a big gold arrow on an AT-4? Why, why did the manufacturer put which way the enemy is and which way the backblast area is? Because when you're in contact, you know, adrenaline's pumping. There's a lot going on. And so you'll slip and make a mistake until you have something that says, like, just make sure front towards enemy. Yeah, it's that final check before things get, get kinetic, right? And you can't take it back if your element's behind you, right? But I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing a few rockets went the wrong way. Th then came the arrow, right? I'm guessing it wasn't a proactive arrow. I'm guessing it was a reactive arrow. I'm just guessing. But there's a reason why there's an arrow on it for that same reason. When the first flying, you result to your lowest level of training. And sometimes a big arrow, it says that's the business end. That's all you need. Same thing at a company. Think about the operational tempo of a, a fast growth business, right? You're not coming in from 10 o'clock and leaving at 2 o'clock. People are there early in the morning and they're there about when the sun's going down, especially if you're a founder on the leadership team, got some options, got some change your life money on the line. You know, wh whoever I'm speaking to, right, that has something to gain. Um, that's where we just have to have basic back at the bar napkin at a minimum uh, rules of how we're going to operate every day. And if we can make those better, let's revise that process. But if we can't, let's just follow. I tell people, I tell entrepreneurs that a business without some kind of operating system, even if you're a solo founder, it's like an undisciplined baby. It goes to bed when it wants, it eats when it wants. It's basically feral. And I just had a conversation with an entrepreneur and I asked him, you know, he's bleeding cash a little bit, right? He's got one of those Amazon fulfillment companies. And I said, 
how much time are you spending working on your business? I think people are getting sold on this, you know, YouTube stuff. Not saying that this is him, but, you know, oh, we'll make make a million dollars in 30 days, you know, do all this other stuff. And people have these side hustles and they forget it's still a business, right? It still needs a strategy. It still needs some accountability. You know, it still needs a scoreboard. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today is because, you know, for many of us, right, we transition out of the military, right? We understand leadership as it applies to our field of play, the military, because the system is already set up. What we don't understand is the art and science of leadership as it applies to entrepreneurship. So, yeah, we're taught the five paragraph order in the military, but what's the equivalent in the civilian world, you know, what's the stand up in the civilian world? And I feel like there's a lot of you and I can talk about today to help set our listeners up for success as they go, in the words of Jim Collins, from good to great. Amen. I mean, look at the Sergeant Majors Eat Sugar Cookies. Isn't that the uh, op-word uh, acronym? Still remember that one? Yep. Right? It should be something like stay off the grass. But anyways, that's a, that's a, that's another topic. But so, yeah, so I, I think you know, back to the systems. I, I looked at this and I was uh, doing coaching after I exited my last company. And uh, a, an old business partner of mine, good friend called, uh, we were just talking, catching up, reconnecting. And, you know, he knew I was doing some coaching. And uh, he said, hey, you know, you got to look at something. I know, I know you got your stuff and you're doing all this and, and you got this, but there's a system. And the, this organization is growing rapidly, really great results. You should, you should talk to this Gino Wickman guy. Uh, he's got a system that's just so simple. But man, it works. It works so well. It works every time. Like It was like, wow, this sounded like a, a plasma torch for business or something like that. So I looked into it and I thought, oh, my God, this is, this is quite something else. So the entrepreneurial operating system is a simple, holistic set of timeless business principles to allow everyone to align and synchronize all the moving parts of their business. So if you'd like, I can give I can give your listeners a high level overview of what EOS is, because that's the system I teach no matter what clients I have, no matter what type of coaching work I do, I have a silver bullet that I shoot at everything and it's EOS. So any client that I work with, I said, first off, we're gonna do EOS. You wanna do some other work? We can do some other work, but everything, everything ends in an EOS implementation because it literally is the one thing that brings it all together and allows you to move forward you know, in a meaningful way. So. Uh, I'm not a salesperson for EOS, right? But it's going to sound like it because uh, I've seen it work over 100 times. I have over 100 graduates. And the only ones that hasn't worked for, it's a very small number, is because they didn't want it to work. They weren't ready to be open, honest, vulnerable, speak the truth, or we had some asshole visionary who who thinks they know better or something like that. But 80, 85% of the time, after a couple of years with your EOS implementer, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have what you wanted. Uh, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a, that's a strong statement, but I've seen it happen a hundred times that way. So no one's going to convince me that if you don't do it right, it won't work. So there's my, there's my commercial and, and, uh, I've seen it again so many times. So what EOS is there, look at it this way. It's like six key components just to simplify it. Okay. So I like to joke EOS is like CrossFit. I know there's a ton of CrossFitters in the, in the veteran community. I'm right? a CrossFitter. All right, good. So, yeah, you know, you know, you see these CrossFitters, they only have like however many core exercises, right? Then there's like the branch exercise that go off of that, right? It's like the deadlift, the muscle, like you, you'd be better at telling me. But as I, as it was explained to me, there's like these, you do these six things, you look like a superhero because they're all like deadlifts and, and 
and big lifts that activate all these other muscles. So if you do these six things all the time, like a maniac, you look like an action figure. You could go to the, the health club and see a, a, a square mile of exercise machines. Here's the pinky abductor. We could just, we could rep that out for a while. Look at that. I've been working that for, well, you can't tell. Uh, so think about your business from a holistic standpoint. The six key components of ERS are number one, the vision component, right? Getting everybody on the same page, where you're going and how you're going to get there. If you don't have a compelling vision, why would someone want to join your team? Hello? Hey, why should I work here? Oh, it's fun. Like you're gonna have to go, you're gonna have to, you have to split, you're gonna spread it out for me. And I'll go a little deeper on that. Yeah, there's eight questions on a tool we, we have called the VTO or a vision traction organizer. It's a two-page simplified strategic planning document. So uh I've coached, you know, very small companies and I've coached billion-dollar companies on EOS, right? So a huge range. EOS was designed for entrepreneurially held businesses call it 10 to 250 employees. That's kind of the sweet spot, but it works smaller and it works bigger, you know, with some modification, but that's the target market. So eight questions, check this out. Number one, what are our core values? What is, how does this unit operate? Who are we? What's our ethos? Are we driven? Are we lazy? Are we motivated? Are we unmotivated? Are these words mean something? And then you get to describe your version of that, whatever that word or that core value that, that sparks you into action. So who you are, core values, critical, kind of the cornerstone, the linchpin of this whole uh, building cultures or building teams, right? You have people that don't want to be there. They don't value what you value. When times get tough, they're out. And then you're shorthanded, right? Versus having people that want to be there. Uh, big difference. So core values. Next is core focus. Two, two parts to that. First, what's your purpose, cause, or passion? Pick one of those three. How do you roll? We're passionate, like we're crazy in the head about this. Our purpose, we're put on this earth to do this. Our cause, we believe in this. This is deeper than, than, than anything. Uh, so what's your purpose, cause, or passion statement, right? You know, we'd like to help entrepreneurial leadership teams gain traction, right? That, that's what we get excited about because when you have traction, you have time to spend time with your, your family. Your employees have time to be give back to the community and, and we can be balanced and, and effective, right? So so uh, quick example, at a company, uh, their name is Remote Lock. They've since graduated EOS Remote Lock. And guess what they do, right? Remote access. They open doors from far away. And like, hey, guys, what do you guys do? Well, we open doors. You know, we save people time. I'm like, all those things are true. You're giving people time back so they can do what's really important to them. So if you owned an Airbnb, and you had to choose between going over across town and letting the tenants in or going to your daughter's dance recital or your son's uh, t-ball practice, and you could do both from the stands, give that new person a code, and therein, everything's good to go. I said, you're making memories with little boys and little girls. You're, you're creating uh, great families, uh, wonderful moments, loving moments that can't be recreated because they only grow up once. I really started talking to them, and they're like, we are doing that. They, they didn't really understand the power they were having. I mean, they do great things. Uh, but think about the why behind the why. That's your purpose, cause, or passion. Why do we get out of bed when it sucks? Why do we get out of bed when it's cold? Why do we get out of bed when it's comfortable? Why do we get out? Why do we do stuff? Because that impact. If we don't do it, those people we serve, they don't get the impact. And that's, that's how we're here to do, right? Okay. Uh, so uh, then we're going to have a niche, second part of the core focus. That's what you do. Most companies, here's a Jim Collins quote you gave one earlier. Most companies die from indigestion by trying to consume too many things at once rather than starvation of not having enough to eat. So let's stay focused. We call it a core focus because it comes from your core. 
just like your values, right? And you have to stay laser focused on them because if you don't, then you could be into that indigestion scenario. Second question uh, is what's your 10 year target or your core target? Five to 30 years, big, hairy, audacious goal. Lots of Jim Collins stuff in the US, by the way. So um, once we have who, core values, core focus, why, and then what, we now have the soul of your organization. So Mike, I'm just going to throw this out there. Everyone listen to this right here. If you don't have core values and you don't have a purpose statement, a passion statement, right, a cause statement, and then we don't have a niche of what we're experts at. This is it. If it ain't that, throw it out. If it's that, that's us all day long. Okay? That's the first place I'd have people go. And I'm not, I'm not going to say you work for a soulless organization, but it's kind of hard for people to share the ethos and the vibe of whatever tribe you're putting together if they don't know it. If they don't know what it's supposed to be, how the hell can they share it? So Exactly. I was going to say as a brand strategy guy, I always tell people you got to dial in your their core values first. Because if you don't have that dialed in and you try to market your products or services, you're showing up raggedy. You don't even know internally who you are and what you stand for. How the heck are you supposed to convey that to perfect customers, people that are going to take a chance and spend their money with you? Yeah, that's a great point. There's a lot of accidental success, right? There, there's a there's a market forces change. And then companies are like, where'd all my customers go? Like, it's not an intentional strategy. It's an accidental strategy. I see accidental strategies. I see people come in and say, we had an amazing quarter. I'm like, why? We're like, we don't know. We're just going to celebrate. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to know what happened. That way we could try to do more of that or bolster that or figure out where we could put that in other areas of the business versus, hey, we had a bad quarter. Ah, oh, the market's off. They, they, uh, you know, they raised the interest rates or, you know, I mean, what are some of these other uh, macro level things that, that affect us further down the stream. So if you have a system, uh, we have the right people in the right seats, right? The right people share your core values. We'd love to have them around. Uh, right seats means they GWC, which is an EOS term, get, want, and have the capacity. Get it? You either get it or you don't. Like, you know when somebody doesn't get it. You know it when they do. So just make that a yes or no. Keep that simple. Want it. That comes from them. A bad boss could make a great employee not want it anymore. So we got we got to make sure that we have great leadership, right? Because people don't quit companies; they quit shitty bosses. In my experience, almost all the time. Okay. So in capacity, do you have the time? The usually, right? You can't take ten minutes to make a five minute egg and work at my diner. People are busy in the morning. Um, want it capacity. So back to capacity. Also, do some people have a large capacity, or some people have a small capacity? If you have salespeople. One might be a nine out of 10, one might be out of six out of 10, but the six out of 10 uh, is paid less than the, the, the nine out of 10. So it, it actually uh, margin wise works out. We shouldn't expect a brand new person to perform like someone who's been at it for a decade. They're not paid the same, but they're in the same role and they have the responsibilities. So, so I think if people get one and have the capacity and they're the right person, you have success. So look at it this way. Let's say you have 20 people at your company. Let's say two of them are the wrong people and another two of them uh, don't GWC the role. Okay. So that's 20% of your company that either isn't the right person. And because of those two 10% are the wrong people, they're, they're talking bad about the vision. They're, they're creating politics. They're, they're drama. Like people can't just work because they're under stress. They're being attacked. Like it's junior high school. The mean girls are here. Like this is going on. This really happens at the office. So when people don't GWC their work, then the people that do pick up the slack. 
right? And they generally don't get paid for it. So that causes resentment. So when you have a whole team that wants to be there, they all value the same thing. They're the right people. And everyone is amazing at their work. That's a company that it's born to win. So I find that if you can get 80%, 70, 80% of the company, right people, right seats, you know, we do this through a two-year journey with the EOS process. Once you get to 80%, they'll find the other 20% and take them out. But until they have an 80% confidence, it, it won't happen. The jerks will, you know, the kill the culture and things will just be a little off and we won't be able to retain our unicorns, our A players, because A players don't want to sit next to C players. They don't want to work on a team that allows C's to even be in the room. So, so the right per- person in the right seat, I'm, I, there are six key components. I'm taking some time on the first one because it's like uh, the vision component, right? That's the big one. And then the second one, the people component we're talking about now, having the right people in the right seats kind of determines if you're going to achieve that vision or not. It, they're, they're so connected. So getting rid of the wrong people, even if they're in the right seat, that's okay. Brilliant jerk, right? Wrong person, right seat. Super productive, great numbers. Horrible, caustic, cancerous to your culture. Got to go. You can never build a winning team with a jerk on it. Just can't, right? Selfish. So, by the way, when the chips fall, you know which way they're going to go, what's good for them, okay? So right people, uh, right seats. So if we went through uh, people component, let's go to the third key component, Mike. It's a data component. How do we know if we got the right people? How do we know if they GWC? That a lot of times the scorecard, which is from the data component, which is a uh, basically a seven-day uh, activity-based number that brings a monthly business result. So for instance, uh, your accounts receivable is $212,000. Okay, that's good. We're going to want to track that. That's important. That's our money. We're going to track it. But if you're not doing anything to get it, you're just tracking it, you're going to watch that number swell until it's hard to do business. And then you might start settling pennies on the dollar to get some of that because you're in a cash position, right? So an EOS scorecard would be whoever the AR clerk in the finance department. Let's say we call everybody that's 31 days due. 31 days or more, it's aged, it's it's out of, we have 30-day terms, anyone's 30-day or more gets a phone call every week. So let's say we have uh, 27 businesses that are 31 days that make up that 200 whatever thousand dollars. So the scorecard metric for that person, that employee, one of the metrics they'll be measured on every week what was the percentage of people over 31 days that were contacted? Hundreds the goal. I contacted every one of them and had an actual conversation. Fantastic. Thank you. Great job this week. So that person has an actual thing they need to do. So let's measure how many times they do that. If they only did it 50% of the time, that money's going to come, come in a lot slower. And we need to have a conversation with that employee how it's critical that everyone gets a call. Because if you don't ask them for the money, they won't send it to us. So there's an example of a scorecard. Then secondly is the measurable, a goal. When this number is hit, we're on track. Everything's fine. We're good. High five. See you next week. If that number's not hit, we're going to have a side. We're going to have a conversation. What's going on? How can I help you hit your number? Why are you not hitting your number? Is it a people issue? Is it a process issue? What's going on? So everyone's, by the way, has made an agreement that's measurable. It's an agreement, not an expectation. Because expectations are basically resentments under construction. An agreement. Stick your hand out and say, yeah, I'll give you 10 units a week. And if I don't, I'm going to get some management here. And and that's just the game. So critical that not only we know what are these monthly margins and you got to close the books down and all that. That's all lagging. That's all rearward looking, right, Mike? 
I'm talking about forward-looking activity-based stuff. So when you know what the successful activities are and we measure how many times we do them, the, uh, the, the result is a foregone conclusion. I know if I make this many uh, uh, sales calls at this amount, I close at this percentage, this is what operations is going to have to assimilate in four weeks, six weeks, whatever your sales cycle is. So we should never get hit by a wave of business. Operations should never get crushed. We should, we should see this stuff coming. And that's the data component. So when you're strong in the first key component, vision, uh, second, people, third, data, those three, you're open, honest, lucid, problems or issues stick out like the fourth key component, the issues component. And again, issues aren't just problems. Issues are opportunities. They're things that we need to discuss, decide, identify, discuss, and solve is what we call the issue solving track. Most people are really good at the discussion phase. But if you solve a symptom, it'll just come back. If you go to the root and knock it out, there's no opportunity. So I, I like to talk about the fire triangle, right? Heat, oxygen, and fuel. Knock any one of those out, no fuego. Same thing in business problems. Something is burning because it's got all three of those. Remove one or all three of those, uh, no, no more flames. So that's the issues component. Uh, fifth key component, moving a little quicker here, the process component, okay? Uh, the 20% that brings you the 80%. We've been talking about this, right, with the checklist and the outlines and the military process, the, um, if, the acronyms, the things that help us uh, execute uh, flawlessly the same way every time. So we need to document it, and then we need to get everybody to follow it. Uh, process at your company isn't optional. If you say, hey, guys, this is how we do it, and you allow people to not do it, there's a leadership issue. That's the issue. It's not the employee's issue. It's the leadership. Don't put a process in front of your people unless you're willing to discipline them and hold them accountable for it. You look like a, you're just filling their hard drive, right? Maybe most people's hard drive up here, 5%, 10% open space, probably not even. I might be generous. So we have to be very mindful of what we're going to put there and say, you have to do it this way. You have to learn this. If it's not mission critical, let them do it, whatever. Like my point is, you don't have to have a process for everything. Just the important touch points, the handoffs, the gates, the, the big parts of your business where it goes like this. There's a process between each one of those handoffs to make sure the ball doesn't hit the ground. Outside of that, let people live the core values. You're like have some general orders to follow in the absence of orders, okay? Six and final key component is the traction component. And that's just bringing that vision down to the ground and making it a reality by creating what we call a 90-day world. Humans, the short attention spans, what's a goldfish about eight seconds, an adult male about seven. So uh, this push button, Instacart, DoorDash society we live in today where everything just hit a button and it comes to you uh, has really changed kind of people's expectations, right? So we need to remind people that we have a 90-day world and every 90 days, we need to pick you up. We need to dust you off. We need to pat you on the back. We need to kick you in the butt, whatever is going. And then that's it. Last quarter is over. Crumple it up, throw it over your shoulder. And tomorrow is day one of Q3 or whatever. And, and it's power to learn from the last quarter, apply those lessons and move forward. But when you do the same thing year round, you got to break it up. You got to make it exciting. You got So I like to focus on like four themes. Like this, we're going to work on process in Q1. Then we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to implement that process. We're going to test it and execute it. And then, and then we're going to operate it, right? And then, and then we're going to do this other thing. And so you, you just had, you, a lot of leaders just have this list of ideas. And it just throw, they just throw that up and people kind of pick things they like. And that's what companies, there's, there's no real strategy. So when you have a VTO, back to the vision traction organizer, 
that was just the first question, uh, right? The VT, <laughs> that was the VTO, the eight questions on that. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff that has to tie in there. So, so those are the six key components of EOS, but there are five foundational tools. The first one I just shared was the VTO, right? Those eight questions. So it's, it's two pages. It, it, it's super high level, but it's powerful. So when the good idea fairy shows up in a meeting and says, hey, let's do that. And somebody says, hey, let's look at the vision. Let's look at the VTO. And they're like, it's not on there. No, it just cuts off a lot of conversations, keeps everybody focused. So this is the mission. And every quarter, the, uh, the team can revise it. And if there's any revisions, they message that in what we call a state of the company meeting. EOS, EOS companies meet with their entire team four times a year for a state of the company meeting. We share the VTO. We go over the rest of the foundational tools. We talk about what's working, what's not working, where we've been, where we're at today, what we learned, where we're going, and who's going with us. That needs to happen every 90 days. People need to re-enlist and say, yeah, I want this for another 90 days, right? So it works out great with attention spans, and we believe in the 90-day world. And then the last one is the rocks. Rocks, you might have heard this term before in business, right? Strategic initiative, big goals. Uh, rocks are a term coined by the late Dr. Stephen Covey. And a rock is a strategic initiative. Outside of the day-to-day, -day, one complete gives you a new capacity, new capability to be awesome. That's the way I refer to them as. So a new process, opening a new market, launching a new product, something you don't do every day, it's new. Uh, but a new process, once it's once the rock, the process is to create the process, uh, document and test it, the next quarter you might um, actually implement the process or get it what we call followed by all. So most businesses try to move a little too fast. Uh, my experience is one quarter to build it and test it and another quarter to get it completely uh, implemented and followed by all uh, with, with military precision. So going back to the five key components, the VTO, the next would be the accountability chart. An accountability chart's like an organizational chart, but on steroids. It has the five bullet points, what that person owns at the company. If this is going good, that person gets a high five. If this is going bad, that person's going to have, we're going to have a conversation with that person. So it, it's literally don't CC all the senior people at the company that there, how many times have you gotten an email has nothing to do with you. You read the email for two minutes and you're like, I'll never get that time back. How about one email to one person who owns it, leave everybody else on task. So it's very efficient, the accountability chart. So uh, then we have the rocks. That's a major thing. The strategic initiatives. Uh, if we have a three-year picture and a one-year plan, um, on the back on the VTO, which again is core values, core focus, uh, uh, ten-year target, marketing strategy, three-year picture, one-year plan, quarterly rocks, and long-term issues. Just, just, just to button that up. Um, that's all we're worried about is, is, is those eight things, right? So we have rocks. Those rocks support the vision. What what's on that three-year picture? How much sales? Uh, how much market share? So. If you're if every year you're you're putting the uh, uh, the three year picture and the one year plan, you recast that. Uh, that allows us to stay tight. There's no reason to create detailed three, four, five, six, seven, eight year planning because you know how dynamic business is. Everyone's a black belt till you get punched in the face, right? Same thing in business. You're going good. Something happens. All right, that you don't have that anymore. So that's why we need to have those five tools. And there's a bunch of other tools that support those five tools. But the reality is, Mike, those five tools that I just discussed are like 80% of EOS. So anyone who wants to uh, implement an operating system 
if they're under say 2 million in revenue under uh, 10 employees, you can self-implement. You can go to Basecamp and get the tools and you can nominate someone on your team and go for it. If you're a larger business, you know, over 2 million, over 10 employees, you should really consider using a professional certified or expert EOS implementer because obviously they're going to get you there in, you know, twice the time uh, with twice the quality uh, in most cases. So that that's kind of the process. And what that actually looks like is an introductory meeting we call the 90-minute meeting where an implementer and the the leadership team get together and, and t- it's a fit meeting, not a sales call, because this is something you sell someone into again. They got to want it real bad. Um, then we have the three foundational learning days. The first day called the focus day, second day called uh, vision building day one, and a third day called the vision building day two. All those days are 30 days apart. So it's rather intensive up front. Three full day offsites in the first 60 days. Then you see your implementer every 90 days for about two years. After that, literally, you have the system giving you all the knowledge. You don't need your implement anymore. Refer them to your friend, someone else you want to see. Be great. And then off they go. So EOS teaches independence, not dependence, like many of the other, other processes. So that was a huge, long-winded thing. But that was the 90-minute meeting in 22 minutes, I guess. That was a master class. And here's what I want to say for our listeners, right? A lot of us have ambitions of scaling our businesses, right? We want to get out of the day-to-day. We're in the weeds, right? We're still doing client delivery. Everything Chris is talking about is what people say when they say you need to work on your business. Because this is the thing where you start to separate it from you as the founder and turn it into a well-oiled machine. So I understand a lot of y'all are in the fight and in the trenches and in the hustle. And you're like, y'all are talking about core values and all this other stuff. Like, I, just, I need revenue. Like, I'm going to run out of money. Listen, we hear you, but what we got to do is we got to set the road ahead for you. Because here's what I know. A lot of, and it goes back to what you said, you know, sometimes a lot of business success is finding the right market and getting your product or service in front of the right person. And then you're off to the races. But so many entrepreneurs are making it up as they go. And I'm curious to learn from you, right? Like, what is the pain point when they're like, yo, I need a Chris to come in? Because you assume that because they've got, you know, a million dollars plus in revenue that they got it all figured out. And then you get in these companies and you're like, wait, there's no cadence of accountability. There's no like, you know, uh, core yeah, values. Yeah. No, I mean, what the heck is going on? No names, no faces, no places. But, you know, I, I'm working with a very large company and let's say they're about $400 million a year annually. And a uh, lot of missing process, amazing amount of effort, uh, talented people, acquisitions, but pretty crazy. Like, honestly, pretty crazy. People burning out, you know, wanting to do good work, but the systems aren't there. You merge two cultures, slapping together. They're ERP or the CRM doesn't talk to each other and just add add stress on top of growth and all, all these other things, you know, and, and it can be a problem. Okay. So if you don't, if you don't say, this is what I want this to be, I want to be the number one company in the world. That's a horrible goal. There can only be one of those. Like the way, here's, here's a good way uh, that I like to, uh, I think uh, makes sense. Like I, obviously I'm waving around like a maniac. I use a lot of hand gestures and visualizations. And I tell a lot of stories. I give a lot of examples. I use a lot of analogies because that helps people learn, right? But you're worried about revenue, uh, but you don't know what your core values are. You don't know who your ideal customer is, the one that when you spend a dollar, more comes back than in any other demographic. Like, like it's the shotgun approach. It's just 
spraying everywhere, which is the one shot, one kill, the sniper approach. So I think business people need to be more long range shooters rather than short range spray and pray kind of a thing, uh, especially uh, uh, with marketing costs, uh, transportation costs, shipping costs. There's all kinds of flux in the market, right? So you can't just be sloppy about it. You, you, you only have X percent for marketing. It needs to be effective. Great companies uh, take a dollar and, and, and bring back five or six dollars. You know what I mean? And not, not a one for one or a break even. Those aren't the discussions those people are having. Why? Because they've A-B tested every ad on the internet and they know which one flies in this, this demographic. Why would they put their lowest performing ad in front of their highest performing demographic, right? So, so I think that back to the core values, core values say, you know, um, we don't want every customer. We don't want every possible deal. We don't want to deal at a 4% margin. We want a 40%, 80%. So I think, I think the important thing is that people get so busy chasing little things, they have no time to think about the big things. So they just got on the hamster wheel. And, and, and if you don't create a structure that's ultimately scalable, you'll just do 5, 10, 20% more a year until it hurts. And then you'll probably slow down the sales until it feels good again, right? That's like hitting the ceiling is what's happening. Playing the short game is like eating fast food and snacks and all this other stuff. Like it feels good in the moment, but then you look up and you're still haven't got nearly close to your fitness goals or anything else, right? And so the same thing, and I'm, I'm actually going to write a post about this because you just had an epiphany in my head. The best guerrilla marketing you can do on a budget is to dial in your core values and also what I like to call your bold beliefs, right? Because, again, paying some firm $10,000 or $20,000 to do some marketing for you without taking the time to dial that in stuff, it's just a recipe um, for disaster across the board. Yeah, it's an old saying. You can't nail jello to a tree. Not to mention your salespeople too, right? So, you know, as you're on those sales calls, what are you saying to people? You know, how are you differentiating yourself from the competition? You know, what is going to make someone spend their money with you as opposed to somebody else who does the same, uh, offers the same product or service? A lot of times we're going to come to values. Same thing when you start talking about your vendors, right? Who do you want to collab with? Who do you want to partner with, right? These things need to be aligned. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's going to deal with one of your customers, whether they're an employee, a subcontractor, uh, installers, anything, they need to roll. And when you hire someone, like uh, strategic relationships. So I have clients that have big relationships with uh, uh, lots of different types of people, right? And they say, listen, these are our core values. Every time you deal with one of our people, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel this. Anytime you don't feel this, you let me know. I need to know this. I also need your people to align with our values. You can't be uh, an opposite value, right? Uh, no antonyms here. If we're driven, you can't be lazy. We're driven. Uh, we're not going to work with a lazy supplier. We want driven. We want driven folks that that run, you know, six seven minute miles with the with the, with the rest of the this platoon, right? So so that that that's important to have alignment. So when your customers feel something, it, it's the same. It's congruent. It's it's uh, so restaurant. You know, you got restaurants got to be consistent. Consistency is the key, right? Because if you go to a place and it's awesome, but you went there twice and it was bad both times, you ain't going back a third time. It ain't going to happen. 20 years of excellence, one bad chef, you just lost 300 of your most loyal customers. So you got to be consistent. That's what the process is for, is to be consistent. 
consistently awesome, consistently staying out of trouble, consistently staying on the good margin work. So if someone says, I don't have time for this stuff, I'm sorry, but you're going to invest the time either way. One's going to be a good return and one's going to be a very frustrating return. So again, uh, anyone who says they don't have time to have uh, basically a VTO fully filled out, if you have a lemonade stand, but you want to have two lemonade stands, you should have a VTO. That's what I think. One of the things I want to emphasize for our listeners, too, is like this isn't theory, right? That's the difference between frameworks, right, and just generic advice. Like a good framework has been proven over and over again. It's like that's why you said it was taken off, right, because people are implementing this stuff and it's working. Now, at the Lions Pride, we use what's called the one-page business plan, which is building upon, you know, Vern Harnish's one-page strategic plan. We added some other things, but it goes back to the same about, like, using frameworks like the VTO that are proven, right? Why would you not want to um, leverage this advice that these entrepreneurs that are running successful companies and are implementing themselves, like, why would you want to push back against it? I mean, it's, it, I mean let's put it this way. Like I said, 85% success rate, graduation rate. I mean, it's high. Like not too many things in the world have that level of certainty. And all we need for that is for people to be open, honest, real, willing to make people moves, have difficult conversations and be kind to everybody along the way. You know what I mean? Uh, This is a lot of fun. The work I do, man, it's not even work for me. I love it. I swear, man, if if I couldn't do this anymore, I'd be sad, sad, sad person because, um, getting those light bulbs to turn on at the end of that third day and really seeing them like, oh yeah. And then once they got it, what they do with it, move mountains. So let's let's put it this way. Less than 1% of businesses win like small business awards, like best place to work awards, 95, 98% engaged employees. You know what I'm talking about. The companies that got waiting lists to work there, like zero turnover, like tenure, like, like awesome top companies. Um, these are third-party uh, employee engagement surveys. You can't fake it. These are not pay-to-play awards. There are some of those out there. I don't recommend those. But if less than 1% of all those companies in the market, at least in my market here in Denver, are winning those awards, yet like 40% of the companies that I've graduated all have those awards, that's a proven process. Like I'm just going to say that uh, this is just teaching EOS purely asking the hard questions, not letting people off with easy answers, right? And that's really the difference between trying to do this on your own and having a coach. Now, and I'm not just talking about EOS, I'm talking about strength training or job skills or, yeah, you can learn a lot of stuff on YouTube. You'd be surprised the stuff I've learned to do uh, as a homeowner on YouTube. However, certain things you, you need a pro, right? And, and that expertise is there. And th- there's a proven way in business anyways, uh, back to EOS, if you just do it, and and have the right people in the right seats by the end, it, it, it turns out wonderful almost every time. Why? Because it's been done 100,000 times before. 100,000 companies running on EOS in the last 15 years. So at this point, it's ironclad. It's proven. Just do it. Don't try to recreate the wheel. We got a nice smooth wheel. It goes fast. So, and again, that's why I said it was going to sound like a big commercial for EOS because trying to figure this stuff out, um, trying to make it up as you go along. Man, that's dangerous. That's expensive. It's stressful. It's it's unnecessary. So I think a lot of it's ego-driven. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to figure this out. Or I'm a veteran entrepreneur. You can't kill me. 
I'm, I'm indestructible. Look at what I've been through in my life. How, this business thing, this, this can't be as hard as, as, as the core, right? You know what I mean? It's a different kind of hard, but it's hard. And it's yeah. business. Businesses steal souls too. Let me tell you what. Uh, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of great people that have ground up into nothing over trying to do it the hard way. And I'm not saying following a business system or working with an implementer is easy, but it's a proven way. And if you just follow the path, you'll get to where you need to go. So I think a lot of us need to just stop trying to uh, hip hip shoot everything. And just find something that you know works, has a commercial from 20 people you trust, and then just give yourself to it. Like back to CrossFit. Man, you know, I'm not that hardcore anymore to get up at five in the morning and go pound tires with a hammer. I'm just not. But I have a lot of respect for the people that do. You know what I mean? It's They, they earn those abs. You know, you see those people on the beach and you're like, damn, right? That's sacrifice. That's what that looks like. It doesn't happen overnight. One of the things I was going to ask you is, I know in EOS, you guys focus a lot on leadership teams, but a lot of our listeners are small business owners. They might have less than 10 employees. And so, you know, the leadership team is really the CEO. It's the founder. Maybe it's a co-founder, right? It's the and direct reports to the, like, think about head of sales, head of marketing, head of ops, head of finance, like sales yeah. and marketing, ops and finance, just those three, everybody has that. So even if you have a 10 person company, you might have two or three people on the leadership team. And then as the company grows, we'll add a fourth, you know, a fifth. It's just because you started at two people on your leadership team doesn't mean that's where you're going to end. So but I, I assume in order to make any operating system work, you have to get buy in from the CEO. And he's got to be him or her has to be the one to crank the whip. We run on EOS at Bunker Labs. And when you have an EOS weed in, they're like they're pretty dialed in. You know, they're like, they're committed to it. They've been pushing it. And I know one of the things that can be a struggle for entrepreneur is the discipline component, right? Like you could do all this strategic planning. You're all happy, go lucky, whatever. And then rain, sleet, hell or snow. You got your level 10. You got to have your agendas. You got to do all this stuff. And it gets hard. It's like hard to do in the midst of like all the other stuff. But somebody on the team, and I'm again, I'm assuming it's a founder, has to crank the whip and says, this is how we run this business. Yeah, uh, to some degree, right? And, and I'm sure that scenario is true in many cases, Mike. So let's talk about buy-in, right? And I know it's a real term. It just personally offends me. You know what I mean? Buy-in. Like, I need to sell this to you. Like, you're on this team. You work here. You're you're in a roster slot. We pay you to be here. What? So I, I'm just like, I hear that term. That's a kind of a corporate word. I don't think it's an entrepreneurial word. So like I said, this... This is a person, this is me. That's not an official thing. It's just, I like to say, listen, this shit's not optional. You want to be here? Because if you look at this VTO and you look at your accountability chart and you look at the next seat we're going to give you and you look at the next skill you're going to learn, and I want you to climb right through this organization until you're on the leadership team, right? Uh, that's what I'm talking about right there. And if I have people that want to be here and they want to develop themselves and, and they want to... Uh, execute the mission because what you do as a company actually has a positive impact and we want to focus on that and they're passionate about giving people that impact then we got the right people right and then we train them for job skills or they bring it they got the right seats there's no buy-in if someone needs to buy in they're they're not committed they're mercenary they're 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 they could take it or leave it 
How many people on your team would leave for a $2 hour raise? If the answer is a large number, that's not it. Most, most of the high performing teams that I coach, um, well, in the beginning, they might not have been paid in the 80th percentile. But as the culture got better and it became more fun and we induced gamification and reward and recognize and trips to Jamaica and all the stuff that wasn't there before because the business is operating. Hey, I got an offer for 10 grand more. I turned it down. I love it here. It's not just about the money. Comp is like number four, number five in every engagement survey I've really ever dug into. It's are you are you uh, uh, recognition of peers, recognition of management, self-development? Like those are the top uh, one, two and three, not money. So it's not you can't keep good people. It's not because you're ready to pay. It's because your culture sucks. It's because it's not fun. How, do you, how have you gamified? How are you going to improve these people's lives? There's an old meme on LinkedIn, Mike, a couple of years ago. You might remember this. It was the CFO says to the CEO, what if we spend a bunch of money on these people and then they leave us? Training them, right? Developing, then they yes. leave. And then the CEO says, this, well, what if we don't and they stay? So I'm going to challenge you on something in a good way. Good, please. Okay. You just said this shit is not optional, right? I'm going to say for the CEO, for the founder, right? As you want to build a scalable business, this is what you have to do, right? You have to be, I mean, you got to build the system. Otherwise, you can just stay in the, uh, what's it called? The, the space of lost dreams. You know, that's the worst, right? Like when you're in that entrepreneurial journey, you're not making progress. It's sucking you. Yeah. It's causing trains on your relationship, right? And then, you know, your peers are moving and growing and you're still stuck. You know, you, because you have it, you have it committed. You have it committed, right? It's it's not a exactly. commitment. You're you're half pregnant, as I like to say. You, you either are, you are not. It's binary, yes or no. So, what's the old saying? The the world to uh, the road to business failure is paved with squirrels that couldn't decide. So 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 when I say get in or get out, I, when I mean it's not optional. What's not optional is your commitment to this company, your your commitment to get one and have the capacity to do your work, to be live in your core values, to be a great teammate. None of that shit's optional. That's when I say that's op not optional. Anyone who doesn't want to play our game, bless your heart. We're going to miss you. Good luck. Yeah. So and what I'm saying is that this is the type of work that us as founders have to do. Well, if you right? want to have anything more than a hobby, yeah. uh, I, I, you, you could try to do it again without it. It's just really painful. So if you could like limit your brain damage by 90%, why would you not... Why would you put yourself through that? Why would you put your people through that if they didn't have to? So so maybe it's an awareness thing or it's an ego thing. I'm going to figure this out myself. Okay, you're going to do it alone. You're going to do it from a very broke, angry, uh, dark place versus putting a beautiful vision together and throwing it out there and letting that vision just attract like-minded people that don't have the ability to be a founder. They don't have the, the skill or the money or the the stomach or whatever it is, but they see your vision. And they're like, wow, that's really closely aligned to my personal vision. This looks like a great team for me. So when your personal values align with the company values, you don't have to be two people. You don't have to whip yourself up in your car before you go into the office. I think I can, I can, like you can be the same person, zero effort. The people that meet your core values, they don't have to work at it, right? They just hit them. The people that don't hit your core values are never going to hit your core values. They're literally raised differently. They don't care. So when you take someone who doesn't fit your core values and you set them next to three people that do, you're really diminishing the experience for the three curated good people. 
and you're more likely to lose one or two of them and replace them with another bad person. So when I say this shit's not optional, we've made a net, we've made a decision to be awesome, and being awesome in, includes some sacrifice, which means some meeting prep, you know, some accountability, some more discipline. But you know, we really want to run with an elite team. I don't want to be a member of a club that would have me on their roster. Winston Churchill's quote, right? Like we want to be part of something special. If it's easy to get a job here, I don't want to work here. If it's hard to get a job here and it's hard to stay here, I want to be here. This is where I'm going to stretch. I'm going to run with all these big dogs and I'm going to level up. So 30 years in a gold watch isn't what we tell people anymore, right? Why don't you come here and we'll develop you? We hope you stay, but if you don't, we're going to wish you the best. And you're going to see this company name. Other people, prospective employees are going to see this company name on your resume. And that's going to mean something. Ten. Let's be honest. We want to win. That's yeah. what it is. That's why you want to get on a team because you want to win. Okay. And that's win, what we're talking about. Win a team. They got a playbook. They say, run the play. You'll get to the end zone. That's what we want. And you know, the guy to the left and to the right is going to cover you all the way. Yep. That's what we're going for. We want to win. And there's a proven process for how to win as an entrepreneur. Well, look at the military. You're going to bound. I'm up. He sees me. I'm down, right? You can't just bebop over to the objective. You're going to you're going to bound and fire teams. You're going to lay suppressive fire so the other team can, right? And you're going to lift and shift and then you're going to you're going to hit hit the objective. We're not going to we're not going to moonwalk backwards to the objective. That's that's not how we do it. So, again, it's the whole thing is a system to win. So, I, I love your analogy there. Uh business, sports, the military, we're just running plays. Like SEAL Team 6, how many times did they run through that operation before they got bin Laden, right? It was like a week or two train up where they're going through the same thing for a week straight. That way, when it came time to do the thing, they're winners. Everyone on that team's a winner. Someone says, ah, I don't feel like practicing today. You ain't in SEAL Team 6 the next day. That's not how it works. So the other operators wouldn't allow that, right? They, that's the peer pressures. Oh, I forgot to say this. Peer pressure is the glue that holds all this stuff together. If people don't care, it doesn't matter. Now, you and I jump straight into EOS. You know, we start talking about coaching and everything. But one important aspect of the show is getting vulnerable and taking off our armor. Oh, yeah. And I shared with you before we went live that I'm a young coach. I'm not young. I'm like 35. But I'm a relatively new coach with the Lions Pride, right? And one of the things that I am uh, working through is not playing small. You know, I think a lot of us, especially veterans, we can relate. The Army's a little different. Y'all got y'all's medals and shiny and clangy. Marines do in dress uniform, but for the most part, you know, we're just Marines, says USMC. And when you're in the civilian world, you really got to step up. You really got to kind of sell yourself, right? It's just, it kind of comes with it. And so I'm thinking through that. I don't have the imposter syndrome, but I can see the imposter. I can see him around the corner. You know, every time when you have those thoughts, he wants to say something negative. And so that's something I'm going through as I, you know, start to work with more CEOs, you know, that are running, you know, million or multi-million dollar companies, right, um, as a coach. And it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. Yeah. What about I mean, you? What's vulnerable for well, you? Oh, God. You know, oh, that's a good one here. Vulnerabilities. It's too many to count, right? Taking things personally, you know, not everything's about you. Like early in my coaching, like I'm the coach, do it this way. Like, no, like now I would say uh, uh, I might let things burn a little bit more rather than just trying to save somebody. I might let them experience. I've experienced this. I know what's coming next. 
Uh, I've cautioned no, the client's not listening. I could double down and shake him and say, listen, no, my situation might've been different from this one. So I think early on in my coaching career, probably a little too forceful. And the longer I do this, the less I say. The, like, like the fewer words I speak are the, the best sessions. What do you think about that? Tell me more. How does that make you feel? Being a good facilitator as a leader, everyone's looking for you uh, for the answer as a leader. You, they, everyone assumes you're the smartest person in the room. Oftentimes, the founder is not the smartest person in the room. So that's, that's a misnomer right there. Um, we have this position called the integrator, right? And an integrator is someone who reports to the visionary. A visionary is usually the founder, but they don't have what we call LMA on their accountability chart. Lead, manage, and hold people accountable. They're not good at it. The accountability part is usually the worst part. Visionaries usually come from sales and marketing. Founders, shaking hands, kissing babies. Everyone loves the visionary. Why? Because they won't write anyone up. They'll continue to keep bad people around, finding some redeemable quality inside them. These, oh, by the way, 80% of entrepreneurs uh, kind of show up as visionary entrepreneurs, just for the record. Uh, the other 20% we call an integrator. An integrator is someone who harmoniously uh, executes all the different functions of the business. So uh, here's an armor moment. Back when I was the CEO, I was also the integrator. I have since learned in my EOS journey that that was very painful for all the people that work for me. So if any of those people are listening to this podcast, I apologize. I was a visionary in an integrator seat. And that 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 is usually fun and exciting, followed by a bunch of chaos because of the accountability and the systems, that's not really. So an integrator is kind of the opposite. So if if uh, Visioner has a low fact finder, I'm talking about the Colby assessment for anybody who's familiar with that. It's a, one of the EOS tools. It's a conative assessment. It's critical. If you don't know if you're a visionary and integrator, you can go to the Rocket Fuel Master Course. They have a thing. You can take Colby. There's a lots of ways to figure out what your wiring is. If you are wired as an integrator and you are a founder, you're just the lucky 20% that can have an idea and execute it to completion as well versus just being an idea factory uh, right with a bunch of unexecuted stuff, which is what we have when you get a visionary that doesn't have an integrator. So I... <laughs> I, I uh, obviously built some companies quickly to a good number. And if you look on paper, it was it was awesome and all that. But I'll be the first to say that it was it was painful for me and was probably painful for a lot of people around me. So I was the typical type A personality, figure it out, pick up your weapon and follow me, kind of lead from the front person. The problem was I had lots of military or you know, military and law enforcement experience, a decade of of, of doing that but I didn't really have any business experience, right? Uh, so I, I was just knocking into things and sheer brute force and will and 20 hour work days allowed me to, to be successful. But, but at what toll? Didn't see my family much, uh, didn't ha had some friend relationships that were work relationships that went bad, like all that stuff. And if, and if, and if, the, if someone who could have tapped me on the shoulder and said, listen, Mr. Energy Ball, you need a system or you're going to you're going to flame out. You're you're, you're going to do something, but it's going to hurt. I wish somebody would have told me that back then. I wish I would have had a system. I wish I would have been a little bit more uh, humble. I wish I would have been a little bit more open. I wish I, I was able to admit faults back then like I'm doing right now. Uh, but it's hard and you get humbled in business. You know, uh, 
one of my worst business failures was it was spectacular. It was the best failure I ever had. Uh, learn way more from failures than I have success. Most people do, but I mean, let's be clear: you, you only need to learn so much. Then, it, then it's then it's your turn to win. The key is not making the same mistakes again, again, and again. So, what you're talking about here today is like, hey, who are you? What's your system? What's this all about? So, I think starting with a plan, an op order, not just going for open combat every day. I think. Let, 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 let's have a strategy to this campaign. You know, let's let's be smart about our supply lines. If we're going to put this in military terms again, Mike, you know, an army moves on its stomach. It, it, tanks move on fuel. You know, that, that that's you, you just can't be the U.S. military without coordinated systems and a lot of training. Right. So you look at a business like, why is that person bad? Well, who trained them? Oh, we don't train them. We just give them, you know, what I mean, like, OK. So what's your onboarding process? People in this labor market, what are we, September uh, 22 here? In the labor market winter now, th th there's still 10 million unfilled positions or something silly like that, right? It's speed dating. People come for a week and they're like, my onboarding process was disorganized. They didn't know I was coming. I didn't have business cards. The computer's on order. The fuck's going on here? Like, peace out, gone. Now all those employees that were that had a good person but we fumbled, we fumbled their integration to our company. Like, so if you don't have a good onboarding process, you know, recruiting process in this labor market, you need to have an amazing uh, ad. You have to have a culture. You have to just come at it differently. You need to speak to the people you want to hire and add. So this is how I've always coached people to write employment ads. And maybe this will help your folks as well. First paragraph, you talk about the person. Has anyone ever said you care too much about work? Do you hate sitting next to stupid people at work? You know, do, like, do you do you uh, do you put your name on it? Uh, do you are you frustrated with this? And so you basically all your good people. How do they feel at a bad company? Not how they feel at your company. Write the ad to how they feel at their company, what they don't like, and how it would be here. So the first first paragraph just talks about it. Hey, have you ever been in twenty the top twenty percent three times in your life? Because if you find me someone who's found the winner's circle more than once in life, they'll find it again. Okay? You're, you, we as leaders don't make humans, uh, nor, bad humans into awesome humans. That's, that's not how it works. Your job as an employer is to sort through the people that weren't raised right and find the ones that were. I'm sorry to say it, but, but the work is already done by the time they find you. Mom and dad put them in whatever place. We are all products of our environment. You can't really change uh, too much when it comes to someone's wiring. I think humans are pretty much wired up by, what, 15, 16 years old. So I think you need to have a system to speak to the right people. Let them find you. So first paragraph is about them. And at the very end of that paragraph, you said, if I didn't absolutely nail you, go look at another ad. Good luck in your search. Don't even bother looking further on this ad because it's not a fit. So it's exclusory ad. So you're going to interview far fewer people, but everyone you interview, they're going to have a much higher percentage to, to get the, the ethos of, of your organization. Second paragraph talks about the job, a day in the job, a week in the job, a year in the job, what, what, what the uh, scorecard expectations are, the hours, the location, how much fun we have. Like, or, 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 That's probably in the third paragraph, but really talks about the job, not like Man, you're going to be shaking hands with celebrities all day. No, it, you're cleaning outhouses. Okay, like let's not 
let's not oversell things like we do in ads because because then people get in and say, what the heck? This wasn't in the brochure. So at the end of the second paragraph, we say, hey, if this exact position isn't something you'd be excited to come and do every day, good luck. Go look for it. Go look at something else. The third paragraph, if they get there, then we talk about our company, our core values and how we roll and buy-in's not optional. And we go big. We, we play hard. We, we work hard. You know, then we get into like what, it, what it's about. And then at the end, if this, if you're the person and you think this work sounds interesting and this is the kind of people that you want to spend most, the majority of your waking life with, then apply. You pro we probably won't hire you because we're super picky and we're not kidding about anything in this ad. But if you really are that person, you're going to be happy for a long time. So I know that sounds crazy uh, to put it out there like that. But anyone who responds to that ad is going to say, I like the language you use. I like the voice you spoke in. I really feel, I, I have a feeling, I have a connection with this. I'm talking about a cultural thing. I'm talking about a place where people can go, go do good, great work and feel wonderful about it. I'm not talking about pay in the ad, right? I'm not talking about benefits in the ad. I don't care about none of that. If you're the right person, um, and I also believe that we should pay people more. Uh, we should expect more. So, Here's, here's, a, here's a rant I think might make sense, okay? So let's talk about an A player, Mike. An A player uh, is someone generally that can do 2X of a C player, okay? You almost never pay an A player 2X. You pay him 1.2X. You pay him 1.4X. You might pay him 1.6X. But think about that. If we can get a bunch of A players that do twice the work of the old C players we had, we don't have to pay him 2X, but we can pay him 1.4X. There's a margin in A players. I'm not making any money. I got $4 million in sales, but we're making barely $100,000. You know why? Because you don't have the right people putting the right output. You're paying, you're paying people uh, at a 10 rate, and they're giving you a, a five, uh, 5 out of 10 uh, delivery. So, so my point is I like to look at your payroll as just cannon shot. This is TNT for the, for the, for the initiative. So whatever your payroll is annually... Your job as the founder or the integrator, if you're running the business for a visionary, you're on the leadership team, right? Your job is to deploy that capital in the most efficient, uh, highest return on investment. That's the game. That's business. You could spend a ton of money on mediocre people and get mediocre results. Or you could spend a bit more money and get some A players and make it so those other offers, the calls they get, you know, are, are, are in line with what you're already paying them. If they're happy... And they're getting offers for similar money to the unknown. They're not leaving. How do we create a world-class team? We stop losing the good people, the unicorns. The other thing we do is we stop hiring the wrong people. That's why you have to use an assessment. Most people fall in love with the wrong people in the first five minutes of the interview. I don't even want to, I don't even want to even meet the potential person who's going to kill my company. I'm not, I'm not going to let him in the door. I'm only going to, I'm only going to interview people that have responded to a very uh, interesting ad that have answered some questions uh, and that fit, uh, that have the job skills or the aptitude or the wiring in their brain or the energy or the intellect or whatever that is for this particular job. And how do we do that? Well, we test our best people and we hire people that are wired like them. We also test everyone that's horrible and we never hire another one of those again. So you can use systems and tools to hack this whole business game if you know what those systems and tools are. That's how 
clients win best place to work awards with 97% employees that are super engaged and waiting list to work there is because first you stop hiring the wrong ones, right? You retain the right ones and then you only hire the right ones. That is exactly the order we do this in. And once you do it, whether you have five employees, 500, 5,000 or 50,000, uh, obviously the more people you have, the longer this process takes, the fewer people you have, which I think is a huge benefit to the, a lot of people on on this call, right? It's if you only have seven people and you don't like three of them, that that's your problem. Get Swap those three people out with three you want. You're going to enjoy your business more. They're going to enjoy the business more. Oh, by the way, the three people that you liberated to the marketplace, they weren't happy anyways. They're going to go find something else and they'll be happy. So hanging on to the wrong people is the biggest mistake in business. There's a big takeaway from all of this. This We're, we're talking about scaling. Like, let's be honest. This is what we're talking about. Yep. We're talking about leveling up. We're talking about scaling. So when you send me a DM on, on LinkedIn and say, hey, Mike, I need help, you know, scaling my business, da, da, da. This is the stuff that allows that to happen. Getting right people in the right seat having an operating system, you know, having a scoreboard, all of that stuff. And it's super important. And we're honored to have you spend this time with us because y'all aren't aware, but Chris, I think you're like the number nine management and leadership, you know, expert in the country. You're on a bunch of lists. So for you, your time is worth $10,000 a minute. And for you to spend it with us, we really appreciate it. And so as we close out here, you know, what's one piece of advice you would like to leave our listeners with? as they continue to pursue their own entrepreneurial journey? And as a community, how can we support and elevate the work you're doing, helping these small businesses go from good to great? Thank you, uh, Mike. Uh, biggest thing, last takeaway, set your intention. Like, why are we gonna do this? Why are we here? And if you can't answer that, maybe you shouldn't be there. You should have a very, very clear mission, a very clear passion for what you do. Life is short for you and the people that work for you not to love what you do. So lean into it, love it, you know, but, but you need to set your intention. And once you set it, forget it, you know, just leave it there. And then just don't compromise. I know it's hard uh, to surrender, but it, don't do it. And eventually if your vision is exciting enough and your impact is great enough, other people will see that and they will gravitate an uncompromising intentional leader is powerful. People will get behind uh, an intentional, convicted leader. A wishy-washy, what's good for me today leader, toxic leadership, that's not, that's not, you, you shouldn't be a leader, right? You should, you should go find one and learn how to be one. So the number one thing is just set your intention and don't compromise. Just, just find your, find your tribe and, and don't apologize for anything. Go, go get what you want. There's other, there's enough people that want it too. You just need to have a system to find them. And as a community, how can we support you? Just continue to do good work. I mean, the veteran community, like, uh, love you guys. That, that's why I'm here. So let me know how I can help in the future because uh, I think uh, military folks make great leaders, especially mid-managers. Like, I'm the business sergeant, right? Uh, I coach generals. I coach colonels. I coach, like, literally the top of the top. Uh, but sergeants train officers in the beginning, right? All right, experienced sergeants. So my philosophy, obviously I was an NCO, so I, I have my warped NCO uh, sensibilities. You have your O's, I have my E's. 
But but at the end of the day, I, I've yet to see an amazing officer without amazing NCOs. You, you're not going to have amazing officer without amazing NCOs. The NCOs are the ones that filter what's coming down from higher and then modify to what we actually can and cannot do. And then we execute the mission. So the sergeants are the most important people, the mid managers. So we, we got to communicate to them. We got to be clear to them. We got to be open and honest to them. We got to communicate to them before we communicate to the team. Nothing worse than a sergeant learning news at the same time as a private. They hate that. So really connect those mid managers and make sure that they're fully, fully, fully feeling the vision because. If we don't have those good sergeants executing the mission every day, you don't really have much. So oftentimes that's where the turnover happens is at that mid-level manager position. So if we have awesome sergeants, um, we're, we're going to have uh, future leaders. Those sergeants can become warrant officers or officers, however that works, and we can backfill them. But I think neglecting the middle managers and treating them like regular line employees is a huge mistake. They're, they're leaders as well. They're, they're, they're NCOs, but uh, non-commissioned officers. They're still officers. Well, Chris is super humble, and he doesn't want to plug it, but I'm going to plug his book, The Business Sergeant's Field Manual, Military-Grade Business Execution Without the Yelling and Push-Ups. I got it here. Once you read it, drop him a review on Amazon. Let's show him some love. And as you come across other leaders out there that are struggling on getting their companies dialed in, and scaling, uh, make sure you hit them up. So Chris, again, it's been an honor having you as part of the bunker today. Where can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? Uh, www.bizhgt.com is the business art website. And then if they want to check out my EOS page, it's EOS worldwide slash Chris hyphen Halberd. So uh, love to get an email or, or whatever. Uh, happy to Happy to interact with you guys at Bunker in the future. I think what you guys are doing is awesome. We need more of this. And there's a lot of untapped potential in the veteran uh, community. So I'd like, to, I'd like to do whatever I can to help get that leadership. We've all seen great leadership in the military. We've seen horrible leadership in the military. So I think that perspective is super valuable. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to take every transitioning NCO and officer and plug them into a leadership position in the civilian business world. That's, that would make me happy. Love it. And I'll be sure to include a link to your website and the book um, in the show notes for all our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter as well in the show notes. I sign a newsletter at least once a week or I try to. Feel free to reach out at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.